when someone is in a life or death situation, there is a human moral imperative to deal with that situation first. Oh, now you're going to start talking about morals? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Donald Trump has no I got time. feeling something right. Morals. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free, what do I, Radio Free Brooklyn, there we go, GDPR, Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth, five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. And, oh, hey, hey, Desi Doyen. Hey. Happy National Voter Registration Day. Hey, that's a great day in the United States yes, of America. Yes, it is, or it should be. Uh, every year on the last Tuesday in September, it is National Voter Registration Day. And so if you care in any way about the stuff that we cover every day here on the broadcast and at bradblog.com, today is a fantastic day to register to vote, uh, as it will be all week, by the way, as it is all year, as it is every day. But every frankly, day is a great day to register to well, vote. Well, it is. Uh, it, frankly, it, it's a good day to both register to vote and to check to make sure that your registration is up to date, is accurate, is for whatever party you think it should be for. Uh, because even there, uh, given all the reports of voter registration databases hacked and changed and left vulnerable on unprotected servers. Yes, talking to you, state of Georgia. Uh, with all of that, uh, you need to to check to make sure you are registered as you think you are. You can find. Don't wait until it's too late, until it's too close to an election. You can find tools for all of that registering and checking your own registration at nationalvoterregistrationday.org. You're welcome. Uh, voting and uh, and voting in elections as critical as we are on this show. And at Bradblog, of course, uh, to the way our electoral system is run in this country, it is still, still the best way to ultimately change the direction of both the country and the electoral system. And I know it's not easy. It's never going to be easy. And yes, the system is rigged, in fact, in numerous ways. 
in order to make it as difficult as possible for progressive change in this country. And you still need to do much more than just vote, including to make sure that your vote is counted and counted accurately and that your neighbors can all vote as well if they wish. But frankly, you can't do anything less than vote, at least if you hope to eventually change things in this country and in this world. So NationalVoterRegistrationDay.org. Please pass it on. Indeed. And and help pass it on to your friends, your family. Make sure that they understand, hey, it's a great time to register and to check their registration, too. Even yeah, even the ones who don't dis- who don't agree with you politically. That's what democracy is about. All right. So more news coming up if time allows a little bit later here on voting and elections today. And yes, the continuing GOP effort to keep you from voting, to keep you from being able to exercise your franchise, particularly if you are of a certain political persuasion or race or color or of lower economic means. Uh, So more on that in a bit. But Uh, Some, I think, good news today for a change. The Senate, the U.S. Senate, will not, will not vote on the Graham-Cassidy bill to repeal Obamacare, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell told Republicans in a closed-door meeting on Tuesday. According to three different sources who talked to CNN, McConnell met with lawmakers on uh, on Tuesday to take stock of where his members are on this on this terrible proposal to gut the Affordable Care Act uh, and to make the call once and for all on whether Graham Cassidy will come up for a vote at all. That's the latest bill to repeal and replace Obamacare. On Monday, Senator Susan Collins, a Republican from Maine, finally came out against the bill as we were uh, as we were getting off air here. Senator John Senators John McCain of Arizona and Rand Paul of Kentucky both also opposed the measure. That means that means Republicans could not get if Collins, McCain and Paul all stuck to their guns, if they all still stick to their guns. That means they could not get the 50 votes that would be needed to uh, pass the bill in the U.S. Senate under the reconciliation rules that allow Republicans to pass it with just 50 votes instead of having to overcome a uh, filibuster with 60 votes. Uh, Many Republicans had not yet even taken a public position on Graham-Cassidy. That is the bill that the Congressional Budget Office also said at the end of our last show would drastically cut Medicaid, would lead to millions of people not having health insurance compared to uh, the existing law. The CBO also found that the bill was projected that it would impose $1 trillion, $1 trillion in Medicaid cuts through 2026. Other than that, it would have totally improved Medicaid. It would have totally improved <laughs> our health care system, except for that $1 trillion that would be cut from uh, uh, spending uh, on on the people who are in most need of it. AP reports uh, confirm CNN's report here, uh, reports uh, late today here, facing assured defeat, Republican leaders decided Tuesday not to even hold a vote on the GOP's latest attempt to repeal uh, the Obama health care law, surrendering, as AP puts it, on their last gasp effort to deliver on the party's banner campaign compromise. 
I'm not so sure it's their last gasp effort, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Senator John Kennedy, Republican of Louisiana, said, quote, the bill is dead as a doornail. After leaving that luncheon where uh, GOP senators were deciding uh, against holding what uh, is described as a futile roll call vote. The decision marked the latest stinging rejection on the issue for President Donald Trump and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. McConnell and other Republicans uh, characterized the decision as, quote, a short-term setback. In other words, it's only a setback for now. We're still going to keep uh, working on gutting this uh, health care system. They needed to vote on the measure this week because of that procedural uh, protection uh, that would uh, would expire uh, by the end of uh, would expire Sunday. And so um, that, uh, you know, to pass it with just 50 votes. So that could uh, they say they could revisit the issue. However, in future months, McConnell told reporters, we haven't given up on changing the American health care system. We aren't going to be able to do it this week, however, he said. I take that as a threat. Uh, and people yeah, ought to well, keep that in mind yeah. that, you know, and it's something that we've that you talked about before, that the Republicans will continue to fight this forever as they have fought yep. Social Security since 1934 and Medicare since what was it, the 1960s. Yeah. They will never stop trying to take any kind of social safety net away from the poorest Americans or just from everyday average middle class Americans either. They will never stop. They won't. They won't. And they're going to continue doing this. Uh, McConnell said that uh, it was time for Republicans to turn away from trying to repeal Obama's health care. Uh, law. They've been uh, promising to erase that law since its 2010 enactment, but have never rallied behind a single plan to replace it. They had a lot of pretend votes, which they knew that would be uh, vetoed by Barack Obama. Uh, McConnell said where we go from here is tax reform. Uh, citing the next big GOP goal, what could possibly go wrong there? The retreat, AP says, left the GOP's next steps on health care unclear, especially with a president who in recent weeks has reached out to congressional Democrats, uh, Democratic leaders on high agenda items like the budget and immigration. Hey, here's an idea. If he's in the mood to reach out to Democratic leaders, uh, he could reach out to them on Bernie Sanders' single-payer Medicare for All plan. It actually does what Trump had claimed that he wanted to do in the first place, provide better health care to every American and for less money than they are paying right now. That would really show those Republicans. He's obviously Trump is very mad, very upset at the Republicans for being able to undo Obamacare. So here's a way to undo it. You could do away with it entirely. Go to uh, Bernie Sanders Medicare for all plan and keep your promise, Mr. President. Just saying. Trump, however, said in a meeting on Tuesday with Republicans and Democratic House members that he would work with Democrats on health care if the Republicans didn't get repeal done. That's what he said. That, at least according to uh, Congressman Richard Neal, Republican of Massachusetts, Neal quoted Trump as saying, quote, you get a better deal if it's bipartisan. Oh, do you think? Thanks for bringing that up now, Mr. President. It was unclear what compromise could tr that Trump could strike with Democratic leaders between his stated desire to uproot the health care statute and Democrats defending what was perhaps Obama's proudest domestic achievement. Well, Medicare for all would do it. That would be the compromise. 
between Trump and uh, and the Democrats that uh, that well would do exactly what Trump said. Regardless of what happens to Graham Cassidy, there are still signs that plenty of Republicans in Washington, both in the White House and the Capitol Hill, are simply not ready to give up CNN notes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. See? Trump said he was disappointed in several senators, uh, referring to McCain and Paul and Collins. He said at some point there will be a repeal and replace. But we'll see whether or not that point is now or whether it will be shortly thereafter. On Capitol Hill, there are rumblings among lawmakers about ways to keep trying on repeal if this week ends with defeat, as it looks like it will. See, I told you, they are never going to let this go. The current legislative vehicle that Republicans are using to move a health care bill without any Democratic support expires on Sunday. So uh, they need to come up with something else. One idea is to tie both health care and tax cuts to the 2018 budget. CNN says that hardly enjoys widespread support at the moment, but it is one idea. Sure, that'll work. Tie they had uh, healthcare was so easy. Let's now tie it to uh, to tax cuts as well. That'll work. Graham and uh, Senator Ron Johnson, who both sit on the budget committee, have advocated for that idea. It of course has raised concerns among Republican lawmakers and staff alike, who know just how messy that could potentially be one GOP aide bluntly described that scenario as a nightmare tying both tax cuts and uh, health care together. What could possibly go wrong? So it's a potential nightmare. So, of course, they'll do it. Why not? They need more nightmares. Speaking of uh, nightmares, Desi Doyne, you're going to join us, uh, of course, a little bit later with our uh, our latest Green News report with yes. updates on uh, on Puerto Rico. And much more. Um, but what's going on there is horrible and getting horribler, I guess, is one way to put it. Just to give you one sense of it, and it's hard to really get a complete sense of it because it's uh, there. there's not a lot of national media there, frankly. There's not a lot of communication across the island, which is still completely uh, without power unless you have a, a generator or something or solar panels. That'll give you, yeah, uh, give you some electricity. Yeah, w- would help. But unfortunately, with the generators, you know, a lot of people have those. But yep. if there's no fuel, then you can't run your generator. Yep. Uh, over at Daily Coast, Fish Out of Water blogged on uh, something that caught my eye here that sort of underscores how bad things are across much of the island. Uh, the Fish Out of Water said, This is one of the most desperate sets of tweets I have ever seen by a hospital physician. Puerto Rico's San Jorge's, uh, San Jorge Children's Hospital in downtown San Juan ran out of fuel for its generators. Oy. With no electricity and back power about to run out because fuel was running out, a lead doctor at San Jorge Hospital desperately tweeted for help before getting back to the task of saving the most vulnerable babies and children. At the very same time, back in Washington, D.C., he notes Senate Republicans were meeting to push Trump care legislation to slash the funds for health care for women and children. Trump was uh, was tweeting them on because it would free up money for tax cuts for billionaires, including himself, who finance and control the Republican Party. The Navy hospital ship Comfort, he notes, Tasked with providing disaster assistance to the Caribbean, 
apparently remains unstaffed and docked in the port of uh, of Norfolk, Virginia. Did you know that? Yes. Is that is that, is that accurate? Uh, that is accurate. It cannot go anywhere until it receives orders, and it is awaiting orders which have not come from the White House. This while San Jorge uh, doctors and staff are desperately trying to save children's lives in San Juan. Uh, on Saturday, this doctor, Felix Seda, uh, first tweeted, We need baby formula, ASAP. On Sunday, he requested food for patients and hospital employees and, and help for their homeless children. Tweeting, San Jorge uh, uh, Children's Hospital is fully operational. We need food for our patients, mothers, and employees. He said several employees at San Jorge's Children's Hospital are homeless and still working, leaving their children at local uh, at a local refuge. We need help, he said. On Monday, the desperate tweets uh, to save lives got worse as uh, more desperate as fuel ran out. Uh, he tweeted emergency out of diesel. We need help. Eighty five children need to evacuate if not fixed. Hospital going out of electricity. Please help. Children are going to die. I mean, this is, uh, you know, now a full week since the since the hurricane. And you've got hospitals, host, children's hospitals that are running out of food, fuel, uh, power to run things. Uh, thank God, uh, fish out of water notes at Daily Coast, the Valiant Hospital staff moved all the most vulnerable children to safety, saying children are uh, are safe. Critical ones move to other hospitals now and they're working to restore power. So that just gives you one sense of how bad things are in one place in Puerto Rico, in one hospital and the desperate measures they're having to take. The mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico, which is a U.S. territory I need to keep mentioning just in case, you know, the president of the United States is listening to this show and may or may not know that it's a, a U.S. territory and these are U.S. citizens who are fighting for their lives. The, uh, the mayor of San Juan asked uh, Donald Trump on Tuesday to focus on the people in the crisis in the U.S. territory instead of Puerto Rico's long-term debt after being criticized for obsessing over NFL protests instead of the devastation in Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Irma and Maria, Trump finally tweeted. This was uh, late on Monday night. Finally, he tweeted about the crisis in Puerto Rico, but he seemed to blame the U.S. territory's debt and, quote, broken infrastructure for the widespread wreckage in that country. He seemed to be blaming them for their problems. He tweeted last night, Texas and Florida are doing great, but Puerto Rico, which was already suffering from broken infrastructure and massive debt, is in deep trouble. Its old electrical grid, which was in terrible shape, was devastated. Much of the island was destroyed, with billions of dollars owed to Wall Street and the banks, which sadly must be dealt with. Food, water, and medical are top priorities, and he says doing well. Josh Marshall of Talking Points Memo responded to those tweets uh, by saying, geez, sucks to be you wasn't what anybody meant when they said you need to start paying attention to Puerto Rico. Yeah. Wor worst president ever, he added, saying, uh, shorter Trump, I like territories that don't suffer massive devastation. All right. Ooh. Ow. 
Kristen Clark, uh, the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, said, Sounds like Trump is prepared to abandon Puerto Rico as if this were a bad business deal and not our fellow American citizens. Dan Dale of the uh, the uh, Toronto Star, their Washington correspondent, said Trump's Puerto Rico tweets read like a paramedic gazing at a screaming man trapped in a wrecked car and saying, you're quite overweight. Chris Hayes of MSNBC said it is insane for the president to be talking about Puerto Rico's debts to Wall Street while 60 percent of the people have no safe drinking water. Oh, yeah. Did I mention that? 60% of the island are without potable water. 100% are without electricity from the grid. The former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Samantha Power, responded to Trump's tweets by saying, Is the president of the United States saying that the, math- that the mammoth hurricane damage is Puerto Rico's fault? In response, the uh, San Juan mayor, uh, Carmen Yulín Cruz, said, you don't put people, you don't put debt, you don't put debt above people. And she asked Trump to treat hurricane relief and Puerto Rico's debt as two separate issues. Here she is on CNN today. Regarding President Trump, and with all due respect, these are two different topics. One topic is the massive debt, which we know we have, and, and it's been dealt with. But you don't put debt above people. You put people above debt. Let's deal with the two issues in a separate way, because there is a humanitarian crisis. Sixty percent of the people in Puerto Rico are under below the poverty line. Yeah. So, so this is a population that does not have a lot of spending money and that they're doing their best. So I think the two issues have uh, no reason to be mingled through. Uh, and frankly, there, there is a moral imperative of when somebody is in need, when somebody is in dire need, when someone is in a life-or-death situation, there is a human moral imperative to deal with that situation first and then deal with any other situation so, that so comes away. That was the uh, mayor of San Juan, uh, Carmen Cruz, speaking about uh, the conflation of Puerto Rico's, yes, problems that everyone acknowledges versus the fact that the island has been wiped out. Wiped out by a record uh, category four storm hurricane. And that was their second in two weeks. Yeah. And and. It's, it's hard to really imagine the scale of this, but the photos, if you look at the photos, you can kind of get a sense of it. It's nothing like actually being there, from what I understand, but the roads are destroyed. The bridges are destroyed. Communities are isolated. There is no way to even get the, 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 the supplies to many of these areas. So it's something that is, I think, beyond the scale that, that it seems like the Trump administration isn't really quite grasping it. And uh, Nancy Pelosi yesterday had called to uh, deploy the U.S. Army. Army. They can get to all of these places. They can drop uh, food and yeah, supplies and fuel. Yeah, the military, they have the Navy, the Air Force, they have helicopters, they have ships. Donald Trump uh, said today, finally, that he will visit Puerto Rico next week, next Tuesday. Take your time to survey damage uh, caused by the hurricane. Trump announced the visit after the administration was criticized for the pace of its response to the widespread damage there. And the uh, which is the home of three and a half million U.S. citizens, three and a half million. 
Trump said uh, Tuesday is the earliest he can visit without disrupting recovery and relief efforts. But, you know, somehow he managed to visit Texas like twice in the very first week after Hurricane Harvey. He pushed back against the notion that the administration wasn't acting quickly enough to help, saying supplies could be delivered by truck to Texas and Florida after the recent hurricane in both of those states, but that Puerto Rico is unique because of its location. Uh, He said that the difference is this is an island sitting in the middle of an ocean, and it's a big ocean. It's a very big ocean, Trump said Tuesday at the White House. He said, we're doing a good job. One might even say a heck of a job, Mr. President, at least if one wanted to remind the world of how well George W. Bush did handling the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans back in 2005. Trump said the administration has shipped, quote, massive amounts of food, water and other supplies to Puerto Rico. But uh, Peter uh, Glick, is it Glick? Yes, it's Peter Glick Glick of the uh, of the Pacific Institute, a scientist there. Noted that the uh, Air Force emergency deliveries uh, between uh, Harvey and Irma and Maria. Well, after Harvey, there were 156 emergency deliveries by the Air Force. In other words, planes that are able to fly, you know, over the ocean. 156 of those uh, Air Force emergency deliveries uh, after Hurricane Harvey. There were 500 to the state of Florida uh, after Hurricane Irma. But after Hurricane Maria, just 20, 20 sorties total uh, as of the time that uh, uh, Peter Glick uh, posted this information. Uh, And just to put that in uh, pounds, millions of pounds of aid delivered, 2.7 million pounds delivered after Harvey, 5.4 million pounds of aid delivered after Irma, 0.2 delivered after Hurricane Maria to three and a half million citizens suffering in uh, on that island. Trump said Puerto Rico is important to him. He noted that he grew up in New York City, which has a large Puerto Rican population. Some of his best friends are Puerto Rican. Mm. And uh, yeah, uh, he actually said that uh, he has Puerto Rican friends, quote, these are great people and we have to help them. Well, what is stopping you, sir? Now would be a good time. If you'd like to help the people of Puerto Rico, uh, the governor's wife has set up a a website for aid at unitedforpuertorico.com. That's unitedforpuertorico.com. If you'd like to help, at least until Donald Trump gets in the game. Uh, We'll take a quick break here and we will come back with the latest in Trump's dangerous and ever escalating confrontation with North Korea. That is still not getting the attention that it deserves, frankly, Um, and I hope it does before it's too late. And news on the effect of photo ID voting restrictions in Wisconsin in the 2016 election. A new study, and I would add, a disturbing one. All of that and much more straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to your Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. By the way, since I had mentioned... Uh, a single payer, Ernie Canning over at bradblog.com this week uh, wrote a, uh, a great article about single payer and uh, arguing basically that if the Democrats uh, adopt Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All bill, that that could lead to uh, huge victories in 2018 for the Democrats. I don't know if he's right about that or not. I'd love to uh, hear your thoughts on that. We may talk with Ernie a little bit later this week. But you might want to check that article out at bradblog.com. Okay, um, the uh, Trump, Donald Trump, uh, continues to taunt North Korea for some reason. Not sure where, where he thinks he's going with this or why. He said today at a, um, at a uh, press conference at the White House that the U.S. is, quote, totally prepared for devastating military action against North Korea, should that be necessary. This was uh, during a, uh, a, I think it was a, a White, uh, yeah, White House Rose Garden press conference with Spanish Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy, or Rajoy is probably the way that's pronounced. Here was uh, Trump when he was asked about the latest in this North Korean mess today. The foreign minister said you have declared effectively war on North Korea, and the North Korean government has threatened to shoot down or aim at American planes flying in international airspace. I'd like your reaction. Okay, well, I'll answer the second one first. We are totally prepared for the second option, not a preferred option. But if we take that option, it will be devastating. I can tell you that. Devastating for North Korea. That's called the military option. If we we have to take it, we will. We know what it's called. He's acting very badly. He's saying things that should never, ever be said. And... We're replying to those things, but it's a reply. It's not an original statement, it's a reply. But the things that he said over the last year, and if you look back, the things that he said to past administrations, North Korea is a situation that should have been handled 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, and five years ago, and it could have been handled much more easily. You had various administrations, many administrations, which left me a mess, but I'll fix the mess. So we'll see what happens with North Korea. So that was Donald Trump blaming other people again for the mess, the mess that we now find ourselves in with North Korea. Apparently uh, promising fire and fury against the country was not part of uh, part of that mess. Promising to destroy, to totally destroy North Korea. That was not part of the mess. That was just what we what he he had to do. He had no choice but to go before the U.N. General Assembly and threaten to totally destroy North Korea, call its leader Kim Jong-un all sorts of names. Uh, it was everybody else's fault but his. 
One day earlier, of course, before these comments by Trump, the North Korean foreign minister said that Trump had declared war on his country with those comments at the U.N. and uh, some other uh, comments thereafter, and that Kim's uh, regime would consider shooting down American bombers. Foreign Minister Ri Yong-ho told reporters in New York on Monday that, quote, Trump claimed that our leadership wouldn't be around much longer, and he declared a war on our country. Even the fact that this comes from someone who is currently holding the seat of the U.S. presidency is clearly a declaration of war. That's from uh, Korean Foreign Minister Ri Yong-ho. Now, whether that was Donald Trump's purpose or not, whether uh, they uh, North Korea is purposely trying to skew what he said, well, does it really matter? Does, there's a reason why presidents are careful about what they say. There's a reason why they uh, you know, choose their words very carefully when they speak at the U.N. in the General Assembly and the fact that even uh, Trump's uh, top official, apparently his own uh, chief of staff, did not know he was going to make those threats against North Korea uh, from the podium at the uh, at the U.N. General Assembly. Kind of remarkable and frankly, remarkably stupid, if you ask me. Um, Trump is not known, by the way, for guarding his comments, for even thinking about his comments, for for thinking about them before he says them or making any links to anything that happens after he says them. So to me, it's not that surprising that he really doesn't seem to grasp that when he escalates this war of words, that it actually makes the situation worse. And uh, this is something, whether he thought about it before or not, apparently it was in the teleprompter at the U.N. when he made those comments. Joe Cirincione of the Plowshares Fund, which works to prevent nuclear proliferation around the world. He's usually quite uh, calm and reasonable and steady. He said once again on MSNBC on Tuesday night uh, before and this was before today's comments by Trump at the White House. Joe Cirincione said that he is very concerned about where all of this is heading. I think there's a real risk here. You know, I'm a big admirer of Admiral James Stradvridis, uh, the dean of the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy up at Tufts. And he puts the odds of a conventional war with Korea right now at 50-50 and the odds of a nuclear war at 1 in 10. I think that's about right, except I'd put the odds of a nuclear war higher. I don't think there'd be a fire break once we started firing at each other. Nuclear experts, nuclear security experts, Asia hands are, are freaked out today at what they see at the, as this escalatory crisis. It got so bad that the experts at 38 North, one of the leading expert sites, had to do an editorial today saying, take a deep breath. People are very worried about this crisis. It is, as one said, the closest we've come to a, a nuclear war since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. This is a dangerous new phase of this confrontation. You know, when this started out, when uh, Donald, well, first when North Korea started saying they were going to do this and that against uh, against the U.S., and Donald Trump started to respond to it, a lot of the experts that we talked to, that I talked to, you know, they weren't very concerned about it. They said, oh, you know, this happens with every American presidency. This is the sort of thing that North Korea has been saying for decades, making these bombastic threats. You know, this will all work out. This will be fine. Well, I'm noticing that the experts, guys like uh, Joe Cirincione, are saying something very different now. 
And they do seem to be very concerned. Putting the odds of a conventional war here at 50-50 and a nuclear war at 1 in 10, which Serencioni says is even higher than 1 in 10, he'd put the odds even higher for a nuclear war? This is pretty scary stuff. And, uh, you know, for people who were originally just sort of writing all of this off as you know, bombastic threats from North Korea. They forgot, uh, I guess, who is the president of the United States now. And that was not really factored in, I don't think, to their to their uh, initial estimates of how dangerous this situation uh, could be could, is be- and, frankly, is becoming. Yeah, Trump is the unknown factor, and he is the destabilizer and the chaos president, if nothing else. And sometimes, you know, we joke about, oh, here we are in Los Angeles. We don't want to get hit by a uh, nuclear weapon. I'm not joking. Who's joking? Well, I'm you know, we sort of, it's sort of lightheartedly. But the, remember that uh, no matter where any kind of uh, missile that might be launched by North Korea might land, um, especially if it manages to reach the United States in any kind of fashion, you know, that would cause a great level of economic disruption just from that event itself, Um, especially if it manages to hit near one of our ports that supply the rest of the country. Uh, Well, yeah. And frankly, if that happens, if an actual missile makes it to the U.S. mainland, then all bets are off. uh, All bets are off as far as North Korea, as far as South Korea, as far as Japan, this is dangerous Asia. stuff. Yeah, this is dangerous stuff. And the the idea that he's, you know... He's toying with t- Taunting each other, uh, you know, like uh, uh, schoolyard bullies is, um, is kind of insane. Wildly irresponsible. And makes one wish that, oh, we had an election coming up soon. That would be nice. Uh, a national election. Looking back at the previous national election, we now have a new study which uh, Rick Hassan, the election law expert at UC Irvine, uh, a new study that he describes as a very careful new study led by Ken Mayer of the University of Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin, taking a look at the Wisconsin photo ID voting restriction law that I have driven you crazy about uh, for years, not just in Wisconsin, but elsewhere. But that vote was uh, that uh, that law, I'm sorry, was allowed to uh, stay in place despite one judge after another judge after another finding that law to be unconstitutional in all sorts of ways, unlawful, would be disenfranchising of voters and everything else, even while Republicans continued to fight in favor of this law, said it would not affect any uh, voting laws. As a matter of fact, Republicans have argued in the past, Hans von Spakovsky, who now sits on Donald Trump's so-called election integrity committee has has argued that uh, not only do photo ID voting restrictions not restrict voters, but uh, it actually has increased turnout in some cases. Of course, he was citing what happened in Georgia and the uh, the uh, election after they passed their photo ID voting restriction. They after they enacted that, which resulted in. Uh, a higher turnout than the previous election. Well, why? Because that was the election that Barack Obama was running in. So little wonder that turnout increased in Georgia as it increased everywhere. But you know what? It didn't increase as much as uh, in Georgia as it did elsewhere, thanks to their photo ID voting restriction. That said, okay, back to Wisconsin here. From Ken Mayer, a survey of registered voters in Dane and Milwaukee counties, these are the largest, most urban counties in uh, in Wisconsin, a survey of registered voters in those two counties 
who did not vote in the 2016 presidential election found that 11.2% of them, 11.2% of eligible non-voting registrants were deterred, in fact, by Wisconsin's voter ID law. That corresponds to some 16,800 people in those two counties alone who were deterred from voting. And that number could be as high as 23,000 based on the uh, confidence interval in this uh, in this particular study. In other words, it could be as high as 15.5 percent of those who uh, were eligible to vote but didn't and gave the reason as to why, well, was the photo ID law in Wisconsin. That survey further found that 6% of non-voters were actually prevented from voting because they lacked an ID or they cited ID as the main reason that they did not vote. So that corresponds to about 9,000 people. That could be as high as 14,000 people on uh, those bases alone uh, on the confidence level of this uh, of this study. Remember, this is just two counties. Donald Trump is reported to have won the state of Wisconsin by a little bit more than 25,000 votes over Hillary Clinton in uh, in 2016. We don't know for sure because we were never allowed to hand count all of the ballots in that state. Um, but uh, so if we're talking about, you know, 25,000 votes different and uh, this study finds that in these two counties alone, that could be 23,000 people who weren't able to vote because of the photo ID law. Oh, now we're starting to talk about uh, some actual votes here that could have actually made a difference back in 2016. Roughly 80 percent of registrants who were deterred from voting by the ID law and 77 percent of those prevented from voting had cast ballots in 20 in the 2012 election. So it's not like these were people who, you know, never voted all and just gave this as an excuse. These are uh, people who have who voted uh, just four years earlier in 2012. Based on these estimates, Mayor says if all of the affected registrants voted The voter ID requirement reduced turnout in those two counties by 2.24 percentage points. It also uh, fell disproportionately on lower income and minority populations, the burdens of these of this uh, photo ID law among low income registrants, 21.1 percent. Were deterred. This is household incomes who have less than twenty five thousand. Uh, who who uh, who make who bring in uh, less than twenty five thousand? That's compared to s- just seven point two percent for those who make more than twenty five thousand. So twenty one percent if you're poor, and just seven percent if you make more than twenty five thousand dollars. Among high income registrants who made more than a hundred thousand dollars in household income, only two point seven percent were deterred by the Wisconsin photo ID uh, photo ID law. Uh, It also hurt uh, African-Americans more than uh, white registrants. You'll be shocked to learn. This study found that uh, just over 8 percent of white registrants were deterred compared to 27.5 of African-Americans. So, yeah. These photo ID laws and, you you know, you can look at this and say, oh, well, it only affected by uh, about uh, two, two and a half percent. 
in these two counties. Well, a lot of elections are won or lost by far littler than uh, two and a half percent. So that's one of the reasons why I continue to bother you about photo ID voting restrictions, about making sure that you are registered to vote, that you have the ID that is required in your uh, in, in your household to vote. By the way, the study also found by the way, that a lot of the people who said they didn't vote because they didn't have the right ID actually did have the right ID. Oh. But they didn't know because there was so little education about this law. It was so confusing. And frankly, as uh, as Rick Hassan points out at the election law blog, um, this this uh, this confusion that surrounds these laws, that is a feature, not a bug, he says. And it shows that the details of implementation of these laws matter as much as uh, as as law itself. He said, while turnout effects and electoral outcomes interest a lot of folks, he says, I continue to believe and I share his belief here. He says, I continue to believe that this is not the central question about photo ID and similar laws, how it might affect or not affect an election. He says the question goes to the dignity of each voter and asks why the state should be able to make it harder for people to vote for no good reason. And there is no good reason. Uh, These laws uh, do not stop any appreciable amount of fraud that has been found uh, in court case after court case. And I would say it's not just about the dignity of uh, each voter. It's about the rights of each one. And when you take away the rights of any voter, of just a single voter, that's a problem for me. And uh, that's a problem for me no matter who that voter is voting for or against. If rights mean anything in this country, as Republicans love to pretend at least when it comes to things like, oh, religious rights. Not so much, I guess, on freedom of speech rights lately. But, uh, you know, uh, there's all kinds of selective rights that they choose to give a damn about. I give a damn about all of the rights, and I give a damn about those rights for all of the people. Photo ID voting restriction does nothing, nothing to deter fraud, But it does take away the rights of thousands, uh, frankly, millions of Americans if these laws are passed all over the country. Quick break and we're back with the Green News Report and a little bit more right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Yeah, 
That's Desi Doyen's siren song. Welcome <laughs> back to the Bradcast. Desi, you've been doing the Green News Report for something like nine years now. Yeah. Uh, how is it that you uh, managed to find news that has to do with the environment? Oh, uh, you know. Week it's in a and week <laughs> out. Where do you come up with this stuff? There's so little going on. Oh, uh, yeah. All I right. wish. Yeah, I know. I wish, too, uh, especially uh, with a report like today's uh, today's report. So let's get to it, and um, and then maybe uh, let's call it a bit of a laugh after this uh, from The Daily Show, if we still have time. But first, our latest Green News report. Almost a week after Maria hit, some isolated towns still have not been heard from at all. Calls grow to accelerate disaster aid for Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. Adding danger to desperation, major Puerto Rican dam at risk of total failure. Good news and bad from toxic Superfund sites flooded by Hurricane Harvey in Texas. Plus, the oceans of 2017 are on track to be the third warmest on record. Unusually warm oceans fueling record Atlantic storm season. All of those record disasters and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Look, climate change is real. 99% of scientists know it's real. The, the whole world knows it's real, except for one, maybe one person in the White House. Shh, don't tell him. He's got bigger things to worry about. People are kneeling while the national anthem is playing. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we are now more than a week since Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico. And things are getting worse there by the moment. Yes. Now, some disaster aid has finally begun to arrive in Puerto Rico, where the wrath of Hurricane Maria caused catastrophic damage across the entire island's electricity, communications, water, and sewage infrastructure. Worse, the island is now in the midst of a record-breaking heat wave. Conditions are becoming desperate in some areas, according to Puerto Rico's Governor Ricardo Rosseo, who, in an interview with PBS NewsHour, called on Congress to move more quickly. Quickly. The magnitude of this catastrophe is enormous. Uh, this is going to take a lot of help, uh, a lot of collaboration. We are in the midst of potentially having a humanitarian crisis here in Puerto Rico, which would uh, translate into a humanitarian crisis in the United States. Uh, so I call upon Congress to take action immediately. Uh, you know, Puerto Ricans are proud U.S. citizens. They are proud U.S. citizens. I can't imagine the government, the president, taking this long to take action had this been a city in the mainland U.S. Yes. Now, Republican House Speaker Paul Ryan said on Monday that Congress likely won't be taking up another disaster relief bill until mid-October. Oh, take your time. What's the rush, Speaker Ryan? Congressional Democratic leaders have called for the U.S. military to launch a large-scale recovery effort. And New York Governor Andrew Cuomo on Sunday said that in response to a direct request for state-to-state assistance from Puerto Rico's Governor Rosseo, he is now sending New York's emergency recovery teams, supplies, and is launching a donation fund. Instead of arguing with football players, instead of obsessing about how to take health care from the poor in this country, why don't we put the politics aside and focus on helping Americans in desperate need? 
And those are the people of Puerto Rico. Tens of thousands have been evacuated from below the Oaxaca Dam in northwestern Puerto Rico, where flooding from Hurricane Maria has spilled over the dam, causing flash flooding downstream and is eroding its base. As we go to air, however, the dam itself is still intact. A further blow to Puerto Rico's economy and its future food supply. According to an initial assessment, the storm decimated at least 80 percent of this year's crops in Puerto Rico. And agriculture experts warn that damage to the soil, water and infrastructure is so extensive that farmers may not be able to plant crops next year either. What's going on in Puerto Rico is extraordinary. The president uh, tweeted finally about Puerto Rico on Monday night as if to say, hey, too bad, Puerto Rico. Florida and Texas are doing great, but but you guys were a mess to start with, so there's not much we can do to help you. It's, frankly, appalling and could well turn out to be Donald Trump's Hurricane Katrina at this rate. And the corporate TV news media's Sunday news shows are also failing Puerto Rico. A new analysis by Media Matters finds that the five network Sunday talk shows devoted less than one minute combined to the U.S. territory's devastation. Meanwhile, in Houston, good news and bad news. The good news is that the EPA says it has removed more than 500 containers of, quote, potentially hazardous material from toxic Superfund sites that were flooded by Hurricane Harvey. But the bad news is, AP reports, the agency won't reveal what the hazardous materials are, which sites they came from, or whether there was or is any threat to human health. Unbelievable. Finally, the oceans in 2017 are on track to be the third warmest ever recorded. Climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe, in an interview with 60 Minutes, said it will take time to determine the exact contribution of global warming to this latest round of disastrous hurricanes. But there are some things that scientists do know. We can say absolutely without a doubt that this hurricane took place over altered background conditions. Our planet is very different today than it would have been 50 or 100 years ago. It is. And the price that scientists like Catherine Hayhoe have been warning about is one that it looks like we are really beginning to pay. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Working on it. Working on it. Trying every day. It takes everybody to save a planet. It do. Um, all right. Before we get out here, uh, the the topic that everyone has been talking about all week, rather than, you know, things like Puerto Rico and three and a half million citizens suffering, Donald Trump and his uh, supporters uh, continue to attack the uh, the NFL, its players, for having the temerity to take a knee in frankly, in in peaceful, solemn, respectful protest against police brutality and murder of black citizens, um, you know, during the, during the national anthem, this was uh, done after Colin Kaepernick had uh, and other players had decided that it was more respectful than just sitting down, to, refusing to stand up during the anthem. They actually got down on one knee. Which seemed to me at the time when they did it initially to be very respectful and, and reverent. frankly and reverent and still does. But of course, even that was not good enough uh, for some 
odd reason, as uh, as uh, Trevor Noah pointed out on The Daily Show last night, uh, even though Trump has said this has this has nothing to do with race. This is about respecting the flag and the national anthem. Well, small reminder, uh, the, the flag and the national anthem, that is not what we are all here to defend. We are all here to defend the U.S. Constitution, its rights, its freedoms, uh, and the right of everyone to be treated equally. Um, but, you know, Trump says, oh, it's got nothing to do with race. Well, really, protesting uh, treatment of African-Americans has nothing to do with race? There seems like there is never a proper way for certain people to um, to protest. Certain people. As uh, Daily Show's Trevor Noah uh, noted, I think he, he summed it up about as best as, I, as I've ever heard. And frankly, when he did it, it rhymed. We know... It's wrong to do it in the streets. It's wrong to do it in the tweets. You cannot do it on the field. You cannot do it if you've kneeled. And don't do it if you're rich, you ungrateful son of a bitch. Because there's one thing that's a fact. You cannot protest if you're black. Well done, Trevor Noah. I can't think of a better ending for today's show. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and uh, to all of you uh, for your support and for joining us today. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free in full at bradblog.com. My thanks also to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate uh please consider uh stopping by that address now don't wait until it's too late don't wait until we're not here anymore a lot of people you know talk about uh, why don't why is there no progress why is there not more progressives on the airwaves well one of the reasons is because they don't get the support that uh the the wingnuts do out there so just keep that in mind. And remember, yeah. when you're at iTunes, to go ahead and leave us a good mark, a good uh, a good review, favorite, a good yeah. review, and because so, it does help p- other people find us, and yeah. and to, to share all that information with other people, because that way they find out. Yep, you don't have to download it at bradblog.com, where we write about the show every day, but uh, you can uh, get it at your p- favorite podcast site. But yes, uh, nice reviews, nice comments always help. So uh, my thanks to all of you. And you can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, where we hope you will find, follow, and share us there worldwide as well. I am simply the Brad Blog. All right. Uh, hopefully, we're going to talk more about uh, rights and freedoms on uh, on tomorrow's Bradcast. I won't tell you with who. You'll have to tune in to find out. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>